0: From the ISC, I am Lara Pedley, and welcome to the ISC podcast, where I speak with inspiring insurance leaders about networking, mentorship, and building a successful career in insurance. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Rose St. Louis, Head of Strategic Partnerships at Zurich Insurance Group. Rose has spent the last 20 years working with financial intermediaries, including wealth managers, IFAs, and investment managers. Rose now works in the insurance sector and has been with Zurich Insurance Group for the last four years. Rose also sits on the board of directors at the Investment and Life Assurance Group. Rose is a founding member of the Women in Protection, a trust executive for Zurich Community Trust and has won numerous awards, including Women of the Year Protection 2018 and 2019 and the Women in Finance Awards Insurance Leader of the Year 2019. Congratulations and thank you so much for being here today Rose. Thank you, it's great to be here. Right, now before we hear about all of the great things that you've done and how you've achieved them, can you tell me a little bit about your story before joining the insurance industry?
1: Oh, the story before. So um, I was born in London. Um, I lived in London for a really short period of time and moved with my older sister, my mum, my dad and... Um, to Luton I, I was brought, brought up in Luton so my mum and dad um, arrived from the Caribbean uh, so they were immigrants myself and my sister are first generation immigrants um, and um, we were brought up in Luton a really really happy pretty modest childhood uh, went to school went to sixth form college did A-levels and then went off to university and um, and um graduated from university landed in london and and started working so a pretty standard um sort of like upbringing and um and a family life i was mm-hmm. you know i'm really really fortunate to have my my parents around me and i've got a great relationship with my sister i know all siblings can't say that they get mm-hmm. on with their um with with their um, brothers or sisters but i've got a great relationship with my sister so yeah pretty pretty standard some some interesting things along the way at school you know being bullied um mm-hmm. Um, having to kind of like build up personal resilience, even though you don't actually, as a child, know you're building resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but in some respects, I'm really glad that some of those really challenging things has happened to me in, in my youth. Mm. Um, so I was able to get over them and use those learnings in, in later life. Mm, absolutely. What did you study at university, by the way? Um, I studied public administration and management. So really, I could be the next mayor of London. (laughs) I don't think I want to take on that role, though. Um, But yeah, lots of things from economics, politics, social policy, management science. Um, So it, it was quite a diverse degree, which was great because that's I didn't really want to be narrow and deep. And, mm. and that's been a trend through my career, actually. I've never been narrow and deep. I've been oh, okay. very broad, um, which I think has, has served me well. It's, it's actually been a disadvantage at some points in my career. But mm. more generally, it's it served me well for, for, for moving into leadership, certainly.
0: So is that the reason that you ended up moving into insurance straight out of university?
1: I can say convincingly, no. Um, <laughs> I, um, like many people, ended up in insurance... Um, by, by luck rather than design, um, I, um, I I literally, I left university and just applied for a number of, of roles. And the first one I got was um, was working for Ensley Insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for six months and that was um, home, motor uh, and travel insurance, including laptop insurance and cycle insurance. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's a really interesting time. If I think about... If I think about that as my first job um, in London, and if I think about that kind of insurance today and how that sold, it's like night and day. Mm. So I worked in almost like a shop front store. in Holborn, wow. between between Holborn and Russell Square on Southampton Row, there was an Ensley shop there <laughs> and downstairs people could walk in and buy their insurance wow. over the counter, um, so you do a quote right there and there for them and they can make a decision, they could go away and they could come back and upstairs there was a little telesales um, area where you would sell new insurance, do renewals and refer them through to claims if they needed. Um, and I can't say I know many many shopfront <laughs> insurers today, but back in '96, that certainly existed, and I worked there.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit different today, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Um, but you know, I think what I learnt there is being amongst people and working in a team was great. Mm. Um, I I like the the actual physical interaction when when people came into the came into the shop, if you will. Mm. Um, and it was it was great you know i was i was working in london i was living in london i was dealing with people um i, I didn't particularly like the telesales bit but um but you know it was it was it was my first job and it mm. put um it paid my rent so i was quite happy about that
0: exactly and then so after after ensley you moved into uh, being a financial advisor tell us a bit about that transition uh, and why the move
1: yeah so <laughs> I became a financial advisor um, again, that wasn't any grand plan. Um, I responded to an advert um, and and before I knew it, I was on a week 's course um, learning my um, all the content I needed for my FPC one, my financial planning certificate part one, as it was back in the day <laughs> um, and And when I think about it now, after a week 's course, passing an exam on the Friday finding out i passed on the friday and a monday i was on the phone calling people and trying to sell them insurance oh. and protection and pensions and that's mm. how it was you know mm. that's how it was back in the 90s shall we say <laughs> um and um and it's shocking to believe that 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 was actually the case um but but i i did that um and soon after i did my fpc two and three mm. so the 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 next stage to my exams within 12 month period to make sure i was qualified um in addition, what I did is I did my advanced financial planning certificate very quickly afterwards as well. Mm. Um, and the reason I did that is because I was young and female in a predominantly male industry.
2: Yeah.
1: So I just thought that if I could be professionally competent and qualified mm. and share that with people, it would allow me to um be be have a, be in a better place to um try to engage with them and therefore tell them that i could i i'm, I'm competent to give them financial advice mm. um and it did work it did work um it was hard um but it but it certainly worked but i learned my craft as a financial advisor at the sharp end of the market should we say mm. um cold calling um yeah. you know booking appointments having loads of people cancel appointments and just kind of turning over stones so um Again, I think I really cut my teeth as a, as a salesperson and mm. and sort of like learned how tenacious I could be um, through that role. Mm.
0: So you made the decision to upskill and get that advanced uh, diploma yourself or? absolutely
1: Okay, great. yeah that was and no one told me to do that um, and I guess I was sort of like still in that mode of study I'd mm. come out of university I'd sort of like done a six month stint at Inslee um, then I went to finance, being a financial advisor I was studying I got a qualification so I was still in that learning mode as well mm. so it was it was okay um, I have empathy for people that kind of like have been working for a while and then like for a number of years and then all of a sudden they have to do exams and they're Mm. out of the habit. So that wasn't the case for me. So I absolutely did that. I saw the long-term benefits. I saw Mm. the immediate and the long-term benefits of, of, of having qualifications and I would absolutely advocate people to... to to have the qualifications not because it makes them better Mm. Um, well it does you know you you, you're competent but actually sends a message as well so Mm. it it kind of like kills two birds if you like
0: exactly yeah no I think that's really important um during your time in insurance have you encountered any challenging moments and if so um could you tell us a bit more about them and how you overcame them
1: um when I I guess when I think about challenging moments they kind of manifest themselves in a number of ways I think that the the biggest, the, well, my earliest recollection of feeling totally out of control um, with with my job and not knowing how I was going to respond or recover to that was when I got made redundant. Um, and I got made redundant twice in the space of three years. Oh, wow. Um, and, but I will say, I think that getting made redundant when you're in your 20s, for me, so that would have been in the early noughties, um, was probably... I was gonna say easier or less difficult that mm. um, I think than being made redundant today um, because I found a job immediately. Um, the job market was still quite buoyant. Um, it was around um, and the reason for redundancy was more around merger and acquisition as opposed to um, cost cutting and and, and slicing people. Mm. Um, so 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 that's really hard because you're dealing with rejection. yeah, it's not personal. Uh, you're just a number. Uh, you're an employee we need to get rid of some of them and you're one of them to go um but it's rejection Mm. and and you can't help but take it personally um and then it happened again sort of like you within three years yeah um and again you know building resilience through your career um and knowing that you back yourself knowing that you've gone through that process to get qualified so you put yourself ahead of the pack because you're you're technically competent that's that's um That's good. So actually going through that cycle and coming out the other end um, reminds you that, you know, you are you are talent Mm. um, and talent is always employed. Mm. Um, So I'd say that's kind of like a real challenge that I've gone through from kind of like that employment career perspective. Um, I think just kind of like other challenges around sort of like, you know, being being female um, in the industry, um, being being a person of colour in the industry, um, I, I always smile because I say that sometimes it's amazing because I am so conspicuous in our sector that I sometimes feel very invisible as well. Um, really? So so I feel that I, I stand out like a sore thumb because people don't look like me. But, you know, I, I'd say in my career, I felt that when opportunities for promotions have been um, there, I've been totally overlooked. Um, and that could just be an unconscious bias where we know that people tend to recruit in their own image. Mm. And if I'm not the image, I've said that I've, I already stand out, then, then mm. I can be overlooked. So it's a real, for me, it's a real, um, it's, it's like you're, oper- you're operating at polar opposites, you know, you're, you're, you're so noticeable and then you're absolutely invisible. And that's, mm. that's a real, real confusing thing to deal with, mm. um, and and understanding how to articulate your frustrations around that and who to talk to mm. and i think that's when you know you, your network and your sponsors and 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 kind of like your mentors really kick in for you because you have to talk about that you can't internalize it because mm. it just drives you insane
0: mm. so you, i'm assuming you did have mentors sponsors that you could go to in that situation how did you uh, acquire those mentors and sponsors and how did you
1: approach them with with those questions so from from a mentor perspective um I've, I've picked up mentors along the way in different organizations that i've worked at mm. so for me a mentor is someone that helps me do my job better mm. um different to a sponsor um because a sponsor is more of an advocate and they will shout your name mm. and advocate for you in places where your voice can't reach mm. um and um again through different organizations and at different times in my career sponsors come in and out some of them are quite constant some of them come and go some of them are active Mm -hmm. um and are always advocating and some of them are a bit dormant you know Mm -hmm. so you've got to give them a little kick and say hey (laughs) do you mind sort of like you know putting a good word in for me here and they're like yes of course and Mm -hmm. then I'll do that and they'll go back to sleep and that's okay that's okay. so, and, and then some of them are, are, are more transactional. They'll come in and they'll come out, you know, and then, you you know, they'll, they'll have helped you along the way and then you'll never see them for the next 20 years. And that's okay as well. Mm. Um, so, um, so it, like, different people can be different things to you at different times. Mm. Um, just like we can support and dip in and out of other people's careers at different times. Mm. Um, and I've also got a coach. So I've had a coach um, for about the last three and a half years now and that's been a bit of a game changer for me Mm. um and um and that was all around I did a course and um he's an impact coach and I was feeling I wasn't having impact in my role and I wanted to make sure that I could be visible for the next promotion that I could Mm. be be visible for any opportunity so I could put myself in the frame and then make a decision whether it was for me or for not or not um I've learnt and I've evolved kind of like my positioning, my presence, my gravitas Mm. um, and um, just learn how to manage my network, contribute towards a network, Mm. refer within a network, take from a network as well, you know, because you are part of a network and it's a value exchange um, Mm. and how I understand those things. So, so, um, you know, I I sought out a coach, I I made some inquiries, I got some recommendations, I spoke to some people, I had coffee with a number of people and then made a selection Mm. around that um recommendations is definitely the way to go mm. um and when it comes to um like sponsors and mentors I think you just need to ask mm. you absolutely need to ask people um one thing I would say is if you're if you go to an event and you see someone speak and you're inspired by them it's it's a big deal and it takes a lot of energy to go and ask them and say oh can, can will you be my sponsor but actually mm. um or will you be my mentor but but they don't know you mm. you know so it's very hard for them to say yes yeah and I do get approached a lot um by people on LinkedIn after I've spoken at an event or a conference um or if I've won an award or I've done something can mm. I'll get you know I'd really love you to be my sponsor and I just think or, or my mentor and I think right I don't know you Mm. and you don't know me um but I think what you're saying is you would like some help
0: or get to know you or to get
1: to know me or or you'd like some input and some guidance and some support Mm. um and and I'm always I'm a big advocate of um I'm a big advocate of people acquiring sponsors and mentors so um when someone asks for help I want to respond because Mm. I don't think I can say you should go out and you should be asking you should be confident Mm. and if people ask me I I, I close that down so I do Um, and I don't commit to being anyone's sponsor or mentor I commit to meeting them
0: yeah and having a coffee and And having a a coffee absolutely because the relationship has to be uh, natural in some respects Uh, it's not always going to be natural with a sponsor uh, especially if you don't know them maybe as well as a mentor that you're meeting regularly but it has to be natural and unforced I think to have the most impact when you're not in the room for them to be talking about you
1: absolutely and I think that um for, for me when I meet with people I can then very quickly understand if i it would be beneficial for us to work together Mm. or whether I can introduce them to a number of other people that they could work with or benefit from Mm. um, because they just might not have access to them or met other people that might be closer aligned to their career, their job. Location, logistically, mm. uh, mindset, personality type, all sorts of different things. Um, but I think the most important thing is to, to meet and let's have a coffee and let's understand what it is. Mm. Um, and th- I've got a real sizable network. So there's lots of people that I can introduce people to. Mm. Uh,
0: and a theme that comes through there is confidence, getting the confidence to go up and, um, and ask someone for a coffee or ask them to get involved or ask them for help. Um, and you, you speak on behalf of the company a lot which requires significant amounts of confidence have you always had that confidence to speak publicly uh,
1: so no i've not always been confident my 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 mum and dad tell a story of how they came back from a parents evening when i was at school infants so what's that like year 3 or 4 or something like <laughs> that um and um and my school teacher had said to my mum and dad I don't know what I'm doing to Rose because every time I ask her to read out loud in class she just bursts into tears (laughs) I know I know so anyone that knows me now would find that shocking and they wouldn't believe it right they wouldn't believe it but let me tell you My imposter syndrome had a grip of me, a firm grip of me as a child. And and maybe that was one of the reasons I was bullied at school, you Mm. know, because I just couldn't I couldn't be myself. So I was I was petrified about doing anything publicly at school. Uh, The game changer for me was um, playing netball. Yeah. Um, because I got good at netball and that gave me the confidence um, to then be able to express myself verbally um, and, and and to speak and to know if I made a mistake it's okay because in netball if you make a mistake you can just win the ball back so mm. you know I kind of I, I did learn that and the parallels that I draw between netball and work or life are, are just really real for me mm. um, so yeah my imposter syndrome was strong um, and it still, it still you know moves in and out of my life um, unsurprisingly we all Mm-hmm. Have imposter syndrome, um, and that really came to a head probably about three years ago when I was asked to be a spokesperson for for Zurich. Yeah. Um, and of course, I thought, yeah, that'd be a great opportunity. That could be really helpful for my career. Um, I could get my message out around diversity and inclusion. Uh, we do some fantastic research here um, at Zurich. We can get messages out to advisors. This is what a great opportunity. Um, and then within a day, I was um, having media training. <laughs> and a week later, after saying yes, I was on Sky News.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, um Live live on sky news talking about something really interesting and something close to my heart which was why women have less money in their pensions than men um (laughs) and it's a real issue you know it's a real Mm. issue um for a whole number of reasons which isn't the purpose of this chat so i won't go into them Mm. but um but you know um, I could I could feel I could feel my heart beating in my eyelids (laughs) I I could I could I was so scared it all turned to white noise and all I could think as Ian King is saying and here we have Rose St. Louis from Head of Strategic Partnerships at Zurich about to talk to us about and it was all white noise Mm. and all I could think was please speak and don't freeze you're on live tv Rose (laughs) and after about the first 10 seconds of of nervousness and then I got into the swing of it it was okay Mm. so top tips for people who need to speak publicly or certainly what I do and that helps is if I've got um, if I'm doing an interview or if I'm doing a presentation I will I will um, make my notes very comprehensive probably verbatim I'd write out my notes and then I'll read them really? yeah and then I'll read them and then I'll move them down to bullet points mm-hmm. and then once I'm really happy with the bullet points I um, if I've got to do a half an hour presentation or a 20 minute presentation or a 15 minute whatever it is I start my timer and I get the words out of my mouth and I actually do it live and I will do it in front of the mirror or I'll walk around my flat speaking the words and acting as if I'm on stage. And the reason that's really, really important is because the words that you have in your head seem to go through some really interesting filters <laughs> before they come out of your mouth. So what you think you've got locked down in your brain when it comes out of your mouth, it isn't quite right. So you have to practice getting it from your head out of your mouth and hearing it. Mm. And once you hear it, you think, mm, that doesn't sound right, let me say it like this. Mm. Or maybe I should switch that sentence around and say it like that. And that actually gives you confidence because once you've heard yourself say it and you've heard yourself de- deliver your presentation in the time period that you've got that gives you as much confidence that you're going to have before you go onto stage onto radio onto tv and the only nerves that you have is the excitement Mm. because when you're actually when you're scared you get exactly the same feeling as when you're excited Mm. so whenever people say you are nervous i'm like yeah i'm nervous but i'm really excited as well Mm. because i've done everything i can do so that's how i overcome my imposter syndrome before i speak publicly
0: And I think that's that's something that people can use, not just when they're speaking live on TV, right? They can use it when they're about to go into an important meeting or their first uh, their first board meeting. What advice would you give to someone that's just left university or just left school or still in school um, thinking
1: about joining the insurance industry? Um, I would say um, for someone who is thinking about joining the insurance industry that it's uh, it's an amazing space um, to, to build a career and to create have a diverse career. Um, you can you can either be narrow and deep um and what i mean by that is you could be an accountant an actuary you work in finance in underwriting and claims you can have um, a technical expertise with insurance or you could do something that i've done which is a bit more broad and general so Mm. sales communication marketing um where you can still be qualified but you can have a bit more of a panoramic view on the industry um and um and, and, and feel like you have a wider reach. Um, so there's so much diversity, I think, in the insurance sector. It's a really, really interesting sector, um, you know, because you've got all of these global mega trends coming in from ageing population, customer centricity, big data, um, you know, vulnerable customers, all of those things that are influencing the way that we as an organisation work, remain relevant to our brokers and intermediaries and ultimately the client. But equally, you know, you've got, you've got the, the customer who's changing. Um, they're demanding different products and services. They're demanding us to think and engage with them differently. The gig economy is a real thing. People are working differently. They need our products and services because mm. they're not all working um, for big corporates with big company pension schemes and loads of protection benefits. Mm. Um, so we as a sector need to figure out how to win the hearts and minds of, um, a generation that aren't particularly engaged with financial products we talk about you know gen gen z um like the younger people I, i've been told not to use the word millennials because it's offensive so <laughs> so the young people coming through that aren't really engaged with financial products and in, insurance we've got a responsibility to engage these people yeah, um because they need it and we need to show them where they are so there's so much opportunity um and you know we know that the jobs that exist um insurance today aren't necessarily the jobs that are going to exist tomorrow and some of the ones the people that are going to be working in insurance tomorrow we haven't even written their job description yet
0: yeah it's exciting it is
1: it is it really is
0: you are a founding member of when women in protection tell us a bit about this and your role in making it it a success
1: Oh, women in protection is is such an exciting venture for me. So I um, am one of four founding members with three other industry colleagues. And it's that there are two main objectives of women in protection. The first of which is to ensure that more women have access towards insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there's a number of uh, lots of research out there that show that women are underinsured, yeah. uh, but they have an appetite for insurance. You know, I always describe women as a lioness. <laughs> they want to protect they want to make sure their families are protected um their homes and all their possessions themselves so they have an inherent um, desire and want a need for protection but they're not that we're not as a as a sector reaching them so it's all about how we can make sure more women get get protected Mm. and secondly how how women can thrive uh, and have a really really flourishing career within within the insurance sector Mm. specifically in the protection space Uh, and that's from um, anything from kind of like flexible working to role models to creating a network Um, so they're the two main focuses women in protection Mm. Uh, we had our first conference last year um, which was which was a real great success for us because we really scrambled and put it together we had over 100 people there had some great speakers and what we're really proud of if we didn't have the the same old faces speaking at these yeah. events we had some new speakers we had some young people speaking we had some people that have never been on the stage and delivered a presentation before but mm. that's what the network's all about right showcasing talent um so we really feel that we're kind of like living what we advocate mm. um so we have um and we, we got some traction as well so the good thing about the conference we're having this year mm. is um uh, cover magazine part of the incisive media group are partnering with us Great. so they are um, supporting our conference this year but they've also um, launched a series of awards and wow. um, so they're the 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 women in protection awards the c- covers women in protection awards um, so at the minute um, I think in the next couple of weeks I'm doing some judging on those oh, awards wow, so we've got the conference during the day yeah. and we've got the awards in the evening so it'll be a real grand affair and um, I'm just locking down the agenda so i can't tell you what's in there <laughs> but it's, it's supposed to be different it's supposed to be engaging yeah. it's supposed to be more customer centric it's more outside in mm. um so let's bring the customer and let's think about it rather than let's let's not do what we've done all the same uh, the same way so it's just kind of like a real fresh look to protection and mm. it's really inclusive so mm. we talk about women and that's that's our focus but we include men in the conversation we include yeah. people with disabilities different sexual orientation so it's very very inclusive
0: Sounds fantastic. When is the conference and how can people get involved?
1: So I'm really excited to let you know that the conference is on Tuesday, the 12th of November. It's free to register, which is exciting. Um, so what I would... Um, we've got it's us- here in London? It's here in London. It's at the HAC, just up from Moorgate. Um, so what I'd encourage anyone who's interested to do is to um, follow us on Twitter and it's at wip underscore network so at WIP network um and you'll see the save the date on there um and we will be um publishing the link and how to register
0: great well we'll put that in the description as well fantastic uh, and lastly you you speak a lot about networking you've got the women in protection um and you also mentioned that you have a, quite a broad network How do you maintain such a vast network? It's very time consuming um, and it's sometimes hard to prioritise what to go to, who to see. There's so much going on, especially here in London. Can you give us some tips and tricks on how how you best utilise your your network uh, in the time that you have?
1: Yeah, sure. So having a network and networking are vital to mm. career development yeah so i always tell people that come into the industry it's really really important that you're really good at your job have a mentor get them to support you in your career development um get technically competent so you can be the best or certainly one of the best of what you do and then when you achieve that you've got to realize that that's not going to take you to your next job mm. uh, your network uh, your social skills and how you socialize your thinking um is is, is the most important thing then um Um, so building a network is really important it can be time consuming and when you feel it's a chore that's when you're not doing it correctly Mm. so people always say oh my gosh rose you're such a great networker how do you do it and I never think of myself consciously networking. Mm. I'm just naturally curious. I find people interesting. It's probably why I work in sales. Mm. Um, so I, I think, oh, if I listen to someone speak, I think I want to find out more about them. What do they do? What have they written? How can I do some more research? And then I'll read what they've done or I'll listen to them speak and then I'll connect with them. So I might like message them on LinkedIn. And I, that's, that's another thing. Top tip, if you're going to connect to someone on LinkedIn, have something to say. <laughs> Don't just invite them to connect. To have yeah. something to say. I saw you speak at this event. I'm really impressed. I saw this article that you wrote. Um, I'd love to be, I'd love to join your network. Um, I think we've got common interests of X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and there should be energy around networking. Uh, networking's an exchange. There's got to be a value exchange there. Mm. So I always say, so I've done a lot of speed networking events and hosted events. Um, and I say to people, if you're going to network, let's think about what you need um i might need a mentor a sponsor i might need some help around public speaking i might need um a connection in my industry who could give me access to this person or that person it could be mm. anything what you need but also flip to the other side of the coin what do you have in abundance mm. you know you might be you might know someone who's a really good coach you might be able to give access to someone who um might give access to someone who needs um needs someone to coach them around um public speaking mm. um you might be able to deliver some training to someone. Um, You might be able to give up an hour a week to share someone, share some information about how you set up your LinkedIn profile. Mm. So let's think about what you have in abundance because if you're in a network, you shouldn't just be taking from it. You need to give it to it, give something to it. And the other thing is, if you're part of a network, um, you, you can refer so if someone says, "Oh, Rose, can you can you offer me some time to um run through this presentation." I could say, "I'm slammed," but actually, um Laura might be able to do that for you. Mm. Um and let me put you in touch with that person. So I actually, rather than acquiring new connections, I, I find that I'm introducing my connections to other connections mm. because that's what a network does. Yeah, do.
2: um,
1: because it, it just it just feeds itself and then it, it grows that way. So I'd say from a networking perspective, think about what you can offer.
2: Mm. Think
1: about what you need and think about who you can refer um because it just means that the value keeps moving around the network uh, and you're never seen as a taker and you don't you don't get resentful because you're always giving um and it, it just works in sync so you know be curious ask questions think about what you can give um and think about how you can introduce new people
0: i think that's great advice thanks and finally what is your one do and don't for a successful career in insurance
2: Ooh.
1: or a successful career in general it doesn't a matter. successful career in general yeah i think that's the point so i would my my one do would be do make sure you operate in your stretch zone so your stretch zone is the next zone outside of your comfort zone yeah so if you just stay in your comfort zone your comfort zone becomes smaller and starts to contract and then you get paralyzed about taking risks or, or breaking new ground if you operate in your stretch zone um, then you're 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 more comfortable in taking risks mm. because you can make mistakes there, mm. and then you can take feedback and learning, and then improve. Um, and then what happens when you're operating in your stretch zone? Your comfort zone actually gets bigger. Mm. So people say things to me like, "Oh my gosh, you have no fear around that rose," and I think all all they're saying is your comfort zone's a lot bigger than mine, mm. and that's because I operate in my stretch zone. So I'm always thinking. Um, i'm always thinking about how i can improve myself how i can develop um and then trying to implement that um and the only way to create new thinking and to push yourself and to stretch and develop is to be operating in that stretch zone so i'd say do operate in your stretch zone Mm -hmm. even though it is a bit scary sometimes
0: uncomfortable yeah
1: yeah but (laughs) but then you know uh, one of my um mentees said to me um she's just gone through a process of um she's in an interview process at the moment and um she's like oh my gosh I've never done this before she says I'm so scared she goes but I love it you know (laughs) and I was just like I love that I love that comment I'm so scared but I love it how wonderful so she says I don't actually I don't actually care if I get the job any any more rose because I'm just so much better already how brilliant is that that's great feedback for me Mm. um so my don't would be uh don't doubt your ability um we are all better stronger smarter than we think we are Mm. um so so your imposter syndrome exists um and it will crush you from time to time but know that you can come back and be stronger and we're all human so don't don't allow your imposter syndrome to consistently get the better of you
2: Mm.
1: you you know you need to win that battle more than that than your imposter syndrome does and you can Mm. you just need to believe it so Mm. you know don't let them win that battle
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much, Rose. Thank you for all the great advice you've given um, and the time you've given to to share your stories. I'll pop all of the uh, information you've spoken about today um, and your details down in the description bar. But thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the ISC podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You can get more information about the ISC at www.theinsurancesupperclub.com. Our show is produced by Connor Sweetman of Breakthrough Media. I'm Lara Pedley. See you next time.